Have you ever listened to the pod and thought it would be awesome if Jen stopped being nerdy about movies for 60 seconds and talked about your business instead? Well, my friends, you're in luck. Watch with Jen is looking for sponsors. Do you own or run a theater, bookstore, film fest, website, school, physical media firm, pod, streaming channel, or small business that might like to advertise on Watch With Jen? Whether you're interested in sponsoring one episode or several, please reach out. You can get a hold of me at contact at filmintuition.com. Thanks so much. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Welcome to season four, episode 44, our final episode of 2023. I want to thank you so much for your support and listenership this year. It was our most ambitious by far. And next year, I hope to do even more as I learn and grow and continue to seek out the best conversationalists and most interesting topics that I think would be fun to explore. And I personally want to learn more about myself. So I'm really looking forward to that. I have a number of shows that I know are going to happen that are in the works. I'm going to be taking a few weeks to a month or so off from Watch With Jen, but you guys won't notice because starting next week, just shortly after Christmas, a new podcast will be launching in the Watch With Jen feed. It's called Midnight Run Through, and I collaborated with my good friend Blake Howard of One Heat Minute Productions on this show devoted to the 1988 film Midnight Run, starring Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin, written by George Gallo and directed by Martin Brest. It was a film that was foundational in my friendship with Blake, and it seemed to be like the perfect thing to come full circle, and we had so many people who wanted to join us to discuss it, everyone from TCM's Ben Mankiewicz to Alan Steppenwall, novelist Megan Abbott, and screenwriter George Gallo. We have a really great dozen episodes or so right now that are at various stages of completion, and I will begin rolling them out starting next week, and so will Blake. So make sure you're subscribed both to Watch With Jen and One Heat Minute Productions for these remarkable episodes that are edited by Blake. So they're going to include music and clips from the films and eventually some voiceover work by our talented actor friends as well including my good buddy, who is the guest of honor in this episode. So without further ado, thank you so much. I'm wishing you and yours the happiest of holiday seasons and a wonderful 2024. I know this year was so stressful for most of my friends, myself included. So I'm hoping next year we all get a little bit of a reprieve and have just a phenomenal year. So again, thank you so much and let's get on with the show.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, today, Burnsy from Boston is back. It's my good friend, Sean Burns, a film critic for WBUR's Arts and Culture and a contributing writer at North Shore Movies and Crooked Marquee. He was Philadelphia Weekly's lead film critic from 1999 to 2013 and worked as a contributing editor at the Improper Bostonian from 2006 to 2014. His reviews, interviews, and essays have also appeared in Metro, The Village Voice, Rolling Stone, The Boston Herald, Nashville Scene, Time Out New York, Philadelphia City Paper, and RogerEbert.com. A graduate of New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, Burns was a recurring guest on the late David Brudnoy's WBZ 1030 AM radio show, and in 2002 received an award for excellence in criticism from the Greater Philadelphia Society of Professional Journalists. His writing has been called jocular but serious, more like a 1940s daily reporter pounding out columns on a manual typewriter than a typical 21st century navel-gazing film critic. Meanwhile, his sisters still tell him that he swears too much and drives like an old lady. Thank you so much for doing this. We're both big Altman fans. I mean, we love a lot of the same movies, but I'm always glad to have you back. We've had such good conversations about everything from Dennis Hopper to Jack Nicholson to... Last night, we teamed up for Carlito's Way, which was a lot of fun. And so everyone listening, poor Sean has to hang out with me twice in two days. But he's immense for doing this. And I know I'm just I'm like the biggest nag on my friends, you guys know. But Sean, it's so good to have you back. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, I was just saying long time no see. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, this has been a nice relief from the end of the year crush trying to play catch up with all sorts of movies I'd skipped for a reason. Exactly. uh, No, last year I got so uh, jaded by bad movies this year. I largely they've been pretty good. But last year was kind of a thing in the group chat. We would say which movies we were, you know, not into. But I would start a movie and then like 10 minutes. Nope. We're going to the next screener. We're going to the next screener. And so I was I was turning very hardcore last year. I, I was not getting into a lot of them, but this year I'm I'm digging it. I have too many in my private little letterbox list that I'm, you know, compiling. So I'm excited to see your list, of course. But this was a lot of fun to go back in time and watch, you know, the films of Master. Uh they don't make them like this anymore. And even in his day, they weren't really making them like this. So Talk to me about Robert Altman. Do you remember the first movie you saw where his name kind of stuck out? Like, who is directing this? And like, you know, what is his deal? Do you remember? Well, like most people our age, the first Altman movie I saw was in the theater and it was Popeye. Oh, wow. So, so it wasn't. Um, <laughs> you would joke that that's not a representative body of work, but I actually wrote a piece years ago about how Popeye is like the ultimate Altman movie, and it's basically like a, re- a remake of McCabe, but for kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never yeah. thought of it like that. That is interesting. Wow, I'm gonna have to. Oh look yeah, yeah. That this piece. stranger comes to this town, and it's like every other Altman movie. That's really about an ecosystem. Yeah, like Americana of a story. And what the society is like, and what people are rebelling against, or 
and uh, you can't understand a fucking word anyone's saying. <laughs> it is so strange. Yes, you you know the songs and stuff, but you're like, dude, what is going on? Yeah. Oh, well, I think for me it was the player, and I didn't see it in the theater, but like, and parents who you know we would go and just rent things and they were pretty liberal and we just knew, Ooh, it's about movie making. And I think we knew Siskel and Ebert loved it. And so watched that. I think I watched it like two or three times when it was checked out the first time. And then I just kept renting it again and again. So that was the movie for me where it was like, I want to watch everything this dude has done. This was around the same time as shortcuts, which I remember like one of my uncles talking about like, oh, my God, it's bananas and you have to read the stories. And then I read the stories. And so I was kind of introduced to early 90s, sort of his resurgence because the player was kind of his comeback picture. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because it's kind of. He works so consistently, but, you know, he was on the outside of Hollywood for 10 years. But I just found with. There's not a lot of changes in the work. He keeps making pretty much the same movie, but it would go in and out of fashion. It really would. It's kind of like I'm somebody who's had bangs pretty much since childhood. And I just I always <laughs> joke like, you know, every once in a while I'm trendy. And then the times I'm not, it's like, well, it's your fucking loss, guys. No, just kidding. But uh, but that's Altman. He's done his thing. It's his bangs. That's what his you know, he is the film director of of equivalent of bangs is what I'm saying. And that's a really brilliant comment. No, but (laughs) I love Altman and he's great because in interviews, he's just like, who's had a luckier streak than me? Like I've just done what I've wanted to do. He's kind of got that Zen hippie thing going on. And, um, well, you know, he flew like bomber missions in World War II, so he, should, he yes. shouldn't be alive. <laughs> yeah, he flew like 20 of them and didn't. Really I know way more than it. people usually survive. I know, it's crazy. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, took that and ran with it, became a TV director and, uh, you know, and then went from there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but I love this. Every movie is just all in. It's a total gamble. It is. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Then there's another one next year. Yes. <laughs> that was what was so great. It was like sometimes you get, you know, the player, and then sometimes you get ready to wear and just, well, he'll be back with another one, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. If he has yeah. to go make movies at a girl's dormitory, then you know, go shoot it there. <laughs> just you know, do Secret it. Honor was shot at a girls' school. That's crazy. What? Which one? I forget. I, I okay. That's that's fascinating, though. Wow. Yeah, and like, just give him one set, even as long as he has a good ensemble cast, he is gold. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those people who we're going to talk about a script where he had to make sure he didn't change one word. But for the most part, that is so not Altman. It's like scripts are kind of their suggestions with Altman. Like we're going to we're going to improvise and have people find their way. It isn't like Mike Lee where they spend months ahead of time, like building characters together and figuring it out. But um, that's just kind of Altman on a daily basis. Like cameras are rolling and so are you guys, basically. Yes. The perfect intro for Brewster. It is. It's the same year he made MASH. Uh, I was looking at one of those um, interviews books by the University of Mississippi. I love that whole collection. And um, except the Altman one, I wasn't terribly in love with. But 
it opened with like an article that was something like uh, the director or the 15th director um, of MASH or something like the 15th person they hired makes a Western or something like that was the name of the first article. And I love this idea of, you know, that was his big breakthrough. He had done Countdown. He got fired like right after that because he didn't want to cut it down to a manageable length, which is so Altman. I love that so much. Uh, made MASH and then the same year he made Brewster McCloud which is the craziest movie ever but very important <laughs> thing it introduces Shelley Duvall who I love yep. <laughs> yes and those eyelashes I mean Shelley Duvall as the kids would say is a vibe yes and she appears as Raggedy Ann at the end <laughs> she does yes <laughs> it is so crazy it's kind of like what planet did Bud Court come from? You know, if you like put this together <laughs> with Harold and Maude, you're like, where is this dude even from? What's going on? Yes. And that. You don't know what's going on, but everyone seemed to have to strongly dislike Bullet. <laughs> I wanted to make a point <laughs> of that. <laughs> Yeah, you have the the eye color of the, you know, the cop and, uh, and he doesn't solve it and he kills himself. And it's the most like anti Hollywood cop serial killer type thing. But the dude wants to be a bird. So there's like this, I don't know, what is it? Jonathan Livingston Seagull kind of thing of it all. It's just a weird movie. Yes. I saw it constantly back time. to Rene Abrejoir explaining yeah. mating habits of birds. Yeah, <laughs> it keeps cutting raised. back to that. And, um, you know, he's not supposed to have sex or it could interfere with him, you know, becoming a bird man, essentially. And, <laughs> you know, Inaratu love this movie. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> basically, though, yeah, it's Altman and Altman grew up Catholic. So, of course, you know, there's going to be some horniness and some uh, stuff with the crucifixion and all of this uh, stuff kind of rolled into it. And, you know, it's it's entertaining. I don't know if I could if you put like a gun to my head, I couldn't really explain this movie. I could anyone, but I've only seen it twice. So what do I know? <laughs> I've seen it like three or four times. It doesn't make any more sense but, but does it have to you know i mean i was thinking while i was watching it again for this it's like we don't really have counterculture movies anymore there's no cool That's like you have a bunch of people a fuckload of drugs to make a movie about how cops and institutions all suck yeah <laughs> yeah just... and killing racists and uh you know i mean the this... wicked witch of the west in her final film appearance i know <laughs> Yes, it's very like Wizard of Oz, and um, the last thing she says in a movie is the N word. <laughs> thing drops on her head. <laughs> it's bananas. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I yes. went to years ago when the um, uh, when an almond biography came out. They had a series at the Brattle, and the uh, the author was hosting these Q and As, and they had um. Alban's wife, um, Catherine, and Michael Murphy and Sally Kellerman there to watch Brewster McCloud. Oh, wow. And this was, I mean, it was really hard to find. I don't think it was even on, you know, on DVD yet. And um, none of them had seen it since the 70s. Oh, my goodness. So they're like, oh, we're, we're going to watch it with you guys. 
do we even remember it yeah yeah because it sounds like the making was a pretty great party (laughs) (laughs) so um, afterwards you know they come up on stage at at the theater and they're just like yeah we don't know either like (laughs) i don't know what to tell you guys yeah but so Michael Murphy was Altman's drinking buddy. That's how he would end up in all these movies. That's how he ended up in MASH. Wow. And then he was like, you know, they love to drink together. But this was back when Altman was a heavy drinker. He chilled out later. Yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, so his character, like, was in the whole script. And then one night they were drunk and Altman just turns to him and he did this great impression, which I, can, I can't do right. But he's just like, Murph, <laughs> we're going to kill you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he was like what no i'm supposed to be the hero i'm the hero of cop he's like no i've got a really funny death you're gonna go out it's gonna be hilarious <laughs> we're gonna kill you tomorrow i love it and he took so yeah that was it. just yeah. over like on like beer number seven he was like no we're gonna kill the cop <laughs> I've just decided that's what we're doing. Yes. You're going to drive in a ditch and then shoot yourself because you suck so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. And Sally Kellerman told a story I was reading about where, you know, because he was loyal, he worked with the same people like as many times as possible. And it was like towards the late 70s that uh, he called her to be in something and you know like you're gonna be in a movie and whatever and she said something like well if the part is good and Altman just hung up on her and that was like you know he was he was done he was like no man you're gonna be in the movie and uh it's incredible like Altman did not suffer he liked the collaborative process he didn't like people to think that they were any better than anyone else he famously, you know, threw uh, Barbara Streisand and uh, John Peters out of a party after Nashville because, uh, you know, the entire, it was like 20 to 25 members of the cast and Altman were there and they just ignored the entire cast. And Barbara was just asking single direct questions to Altman, like, well, John and I want to know how you did this and how you did that. And finally, he just said, like, there are other people here and he just got rid of Barbara she, like she couldn't process it and so um you know I, I haven't listened to all 48 hours of this uh memoir yet but I'm waiting for uh somebody to tell me what happened in that Altman chapter yes <laughs> yeah but I I can't imagine uh so he was his drinking buddy there's so many great stories that these people who worked with him again and again shared like Julianne Moore, you know, she was a fan just as a film fan and then uh, wanted to be in everything that he was doing, no matter what. I mean, why wouldn't you basically you're going to do work that you wouldn't normally do in, you know, traditional Hollywood or, you know, wherever, (laughs) wherever he's from in the solar system, that, that old line, like, uh, Truffaut said about Tati, which is he's from a different part of the solar system where they make movies differently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's Brewster McLeod, which kind of fits in with this era of like the psychedelic um, Altman's. I covered with uh, Ben David Grabinski a few seasons ago. We did that cold day in, a, in the park. 
uh, images, which was crazy. And then three women, which I think is phenomenal and doesn't get talked about is that enough really. Oh yeah. Three women's fantastic. I mean, yeah, that's one of those where it takes like a couple viewings for you to really, what did I watch? And then it's, yeah, you want to watch it again. Yes. And it's Duvall again. She's fabulous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Three women might be like the ultimate. Shelly Duvall performance. Really? Yes. <laughs> and you got Duvall and Popeye too. So it's going to play olive oil. I mean, that, that was yeah. no brainer casting. Exactly. But. And that was right around the time of the shining. So your first, was that kind of your whiplash back to back of Shelly Duvall <laughs> <laughs> when you were a kid? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. She was one of those people I thought was way more famous than they actually were just because she was in all the stuff that I saw. So it was like, you know, yeah, she was the most famous actress in the world to me because she was in like Popeye and The Shining. Yeah. And she was in that PBS series, you know, with the puppets and the, yeah. Oh, yeah. The fairy tale yeah, theater. Yeah. Fairy tale theater, of course. Yeah. Did you have more thoughts on Brewster McCloud? No, just it's, I mean, what, I can't try to explain it. But, yeah, know, it's, but it's entertaining, you know, like for this era, this is before um, he reteamed again with Gould and made California Split, which is one of my favorites, um, and Long Goodbye. And before he kind of got into the mid-70s groove there with Nashville, which is one of his masterpieces, I forgot to ask you, Burns, like, what is your favorite Altman? Do you have one? Oh, I can't. It changes. I know. Yeah, it's really hard. I would say it's probably like the player in Nashville, but then I'm like, you know, the company is in there, and California Split is in there. Long goodbye. Also, is it really basic of me to say Mash because I think that's literally the funniest movie I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) The first time I watched that, I fell off the living room couch. My parents were laughing at me watching the movie. Because I could not believe, I mean, I was obviously too young to be watching it, I guess, but. That happened to me with Fish Called Wanda, like the one time, like I literally fell off the couch was with Kevin Klein, And yeah, I can imagine uh, <laughs> seeing that when you're very young, like, oh my God, he's getting away with all this stuff. And also, if I got to tell young... Elliot Gould how much he informed my respect for authority figures as a yes, child. Watching you need that movie to. Over and over again. Yes, <laughs> like he, he was very proud when I told him. He was like, well, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> I'm not sure it actually helped in, in my life, but. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So you got the way to... I respect like the military or people in power is a lot of it's informed by seeing MASH at a young age. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. When did you talk to Gould? Was it when you were working at the Brattle? No, this was actually during uh, COVID. He was on a Zoom thing. Oh, cool. That my friend was doing. So he, he actually, we had a little like a, a pandemic movie club. Imagine that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Gould actually came twice. Nice. And, uh, yeah, he, he'll just talk. He was like three o'clock in the morning and he was still rolling. He was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That is quite the humble brag. Like I was in a pandemic movie club where occasionally Elliot Gould would come. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a Nicholas Schrader came by a couple times. And, um, For real? Was, yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, yes. I, I love One of those people doesn't Jordan and they... Blake and Jed and Travis, but maybe we were in the wrong club and we should have like merged. <laughs> I don't know. 
Although I don't know if like Travis did weird Elliot Gould out. Have you heard the story? Because Travis has an Elliot Gould long goodbye tattoo. And at a screening of the long goodbye, it, you know, he was mentioned and he got like a can of cat food. It was a tie-in thing. I think it might have been at the, I don't know if it was at the Cinematheque or the New Beverly. And Gould was a little weirded out by that, of course. And so... So I don't know, maybe if, you know, they would have been in the same Zoom, it would have been awkward, but maybe not. Gold seems cool. I don't know. No, was, he loves that movie because when, when it showed at the Brattle as part of that series that um, with Alban's wife. So Gold came to introduce the long goodbye and then all these people were going to go out to dinner. And he's like, no, I'm going to stay here and watch the movie. Oh, and he wow. had this giant popcorn. And first of all, when everyone came in, he was just standing talking to the usher who was tearing tickets, and everybody was so confused. Oh my God. <laughs> Is I that Elliot that. Gould just chatting with the usher? <laughs> so he had this giant popcorn, and he sat down. He was in the row right in front of me, and he just roared at everything he said in the film. He was delighted <laughs> by his performance. <laughs> that is so great because so many actors can't even watch themselves you know it's like oh my god i'm terrible not an issue for mr gould <laughs> not an issue i love that so much that's amazing and of course i couldn't look at the movie i was just watching him watch it <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you weren't alone i bet like everybody <laughs> would wouldn't have known where to look like you would be getting you know going back and forth like oh my yeah, god like in stereo <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah, that's probably my other favorite besides Match would be Long Goodbye. And, yeah. Or California Split. There's yeah, you know, there's so many. Yeah, so many good ones. And one that I just saw for the first time because of you is uh the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, uh, which I had seen the new one, the Freakin, mm -hmm. which was excellent. And didn't even I'm like wait a minute burns like you know not to well actually, you thought i was you know? losing it right <laughs> no like i didn't want to be a well actually reply guy but i'm like wasn't that freaking and you're like no jen there was another one and you were right there were a couple of them and uh because it is an older play which i knew that but i didn't even realize oh wow he had done one too for television in 88 uh i am one of those character actor nerds so I'm sitting in my house watching this and I, I flat out yelled, Bogosian! And <laughs> even though I'm alone and it's like <laughs> eight in the morning and like, so I do have to thank you. I got really excited by seeing some of these people in this movie. Uh, it was a lot of fun to see, you know, young Jeff Daniels in this era too. And uh, it was great. It's a different thing. And they did make Altman you know, promise you can't change one word of this um, play. Exactly. And when I was looking up the history of the play, I found it interesting. It was like for Broadway, Charles Lawton was director. It was Henry Fonda. And you can just imagine what that would have been like and how amazing. And then uh, decades later, you've got Altman who, you know, he, he plays into the ambiguities a little bit. He sets the whole thing in like a high school gym, which I love. The greatest staging. <laughs> yes. It's like, you know, I'm going to take the military. This is not a few good men. You know, how dare you, sir? We're in a high school gym. It's kind of lame. They're a little bitchy. And uh, it's great. Yeah, I really enjoy I enjoyed both the freaking and this one for different reasons. So 
Tell me. But about I think it's an movie. interesting play because it's like I mean, Aaron Sorkin just ripped it off and took out all the moral ambiguity <laughs> of like yeah. we're gonna trip up this crazy Martinet on the stand, yeah, and make him incriminate himself. But you know, Sorkin made a career and a hundred million dollars out of it, whereas this is much more confusing and. It is like I mean, one that, minute you're on one person's side, and then you're like, well, "Wait a minute, yeah," which I love. Yeah, and that you know the Bogosian character, the the defense attorney, he just does not want to be doing this at all. Like he hates no. him, and I think, but really, what's not in the freaking version because he updated it to the modern time. Yes. But the anti-Semitism in the movie is great, where Bogosian's yes. like this Jewish lawyer, and it's all these wasps. Saying, that he has to defend. you know, horrible thing, like you know, putting in word, you know, kind of cutting him down. And then they apologize, but, you know, it's out of both sides of their mouth. And, yeah, there's some really uh, clever stuff that they work into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, it's just fascinating the way he uses that, you know, because it's like the gymnasium and they have all those, like, those cages. <laughs> you get, like, equipment cages. And he's yeah. shooting through all these obstructions. Like, I-, I love his play series like this and, like, the come back to the five and nine Jimmy Dean. Mm-hmm. Where he would take these close locations, but really find the strangest ways of shooting them where you're constantly you know the, the freaking version is cool because it's so spare and so i mean the set's barely even dressed whereas this there's always like eight people talking at once you know there, there are people milling around in the background constantly and uh, i think the last scene is an absolute miracle where the goes and just delivers this monologue to all these this party scene oh my god he just completely... people and it's like horrifies everyone and it's so good yeah <laughs> but it's like he's yelling into this typhoon or something you know <laughs> like yeah. they've been talking about typhoon the whole time and then there's just this storm of drunken wasp pricks celebrating their book deal which i love too because it's kind of implying you know you're not sure what the deal is with this author character who's introduced early on and uh then at the end of the movie you're like oh was he kind of pulling strings or where did he do some of this stuff and uh Bogosian kind of like calls him on his shit which is really cool yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm glad you brought up uh five and dime uh jimmy dean which I think it was Janet Maslin was the one who's like, no, you need to watch that. Like seek that one out like uh, a few years ago. And I had not seen it. So that was another one. Secret honor was another new one that for whatever reason, if I did see it, I completely forgot, but kind of kickstarted the year with that, which is an amazing Philip Baker Hall, you know, (laughs) paranoia uh yeah i i can't even that was a siskel and ebert special i like sought that out because that was one they would not shut up about (laughs) that's you know like gene and roger liked a movie they'd bring it up like every two weeks until it was uh... yes i know and like growing up in the 90s that was always so excited it's it's like wait a minute they're bringing up mike figgis again gotta pay attention or whoever it is (laughs) that they're obsessed with that week or that month yes yeah, and Altman. Well, that's why Altman Secret favorite. Honor, when like Philip Baker Hall became P.T. Anderson's guy, I was like, oh, it's Nixon. Yes, it's Nixon, and it's Sydney from Midnight Run tying it all together <laughs> with our other projects. Yes. Yeah, no, this was a really cool one. I was glad that you brought it up. Uh, do you remember? Yeah, well, most people don't know it exists. Yeah. I remember it was a big deal on CBS when it came out. I remember it was like on the cover of the TV guide that week. 
Okay, so you saw it way back. Yeah, well, I'd seen. Um, I don't remember how much if I watched the whole thing or not, but I'd seen talk radio. Okay, for sure. Yeah. So I was like obsessed with Bogosian. Yeah, the, a playwright actor um, in another play for sure. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> Uh, different than Oliver Stone, but another larger than life personality. You know, we we don't have a ton of these guys walking around anymore making movies, or they're not really letting these guys make movies anymore, uh, unfortunately. Or this isn't the stuff they're gravitating to. Yes. Which... Yeah. Well, there's a certain you know, Alvin never had a good time with the studios. <laughs> no. Yeah. Julian Moore famously was saying like. I always heard he was irascible and hard to deal with. And I never saw him talk to actors or people on set like that. He always saved that side for the money people in the studios. Like they got that side of Altman. Yes. For good reason. Well, that's right? what I miss. Like, that's why yeah. I don't even, I don't even love like a lot of James Cameron or Ridley Scott movies, but the complete contempt they have yes. for the studio guys like, how is how a director should be. Like that's yeah. how you got to talk to the suits. Like, yeah. Cameron throwing don't know. Yeah. Cameron throwing people out of his office will never not amuse me. <laughs> <laughs> or the tricks Alman would do, like shooting Popeye in Malta just because they would be totally unreachable. Like no one's gonna schlep out to Malta. Like he could have shot that movie on a back lot anywhere, but he's like, no, where's the farthest story. I can go? That is so good. Wow. They kept the set, it's still there as a it's a tourist attraction in Malta. Have you been? I would like to, if I ever find myself in Malta, that's the first place I'm going. <laughs> For sure. What we're saying is, you know, GQ or one of these magazines, Rolling Stone, hire Burns to do like a deep dive in Malta on Popeye. And <laughs> he'll come up and he'll get you some gold, I think. Yeah. I'll find where all of the cocaine in the country was ingested by Robin Williams, Robert <laughs> and Harry Nelson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're like, I'm on the hunt. Yes. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Robert Evans produced it. I'm sure that was. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it was the most sober set in town. Yeah. <laughs> God, can you imagine being a fly on the wall with like Evans and Altman in a room together? The well, arguments must have been yes. insane. Yeah. Crazy. And Don Simpson it. and Jerry Bruckheimer produced it too, right? Like the. Or oh, Don my Simpson God. Was... Yeah the oral histories uh of like because <laughs> uh, yeah, when don simpson died uh Altman said like was it the only sad thing is he didn't suffer more oh my god <laughs> wow and so he wasn't doing the you know <laughs> the the nice thing for the press wow <laughs> not robert altman he did not yeah he didn't play like that for sure. Well, that brings us, uh, of course, Kane Mutiny was a couple years before the player when he really let the suits have it and roasted him along with Michael Tolkien. Um, you know, that is such a good one. And that brings us into the 90s period, which was a renaissance for Altman. And one of the films that we thought about when we were talking about under discussed Altman, I threw out was Cookie's Fortune, which I remember Ebert liking. I don't know if Cisco liked it, but I know Ebert did. Um, though I think uh, Cisco was dead by then. 
was he? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's 99, so. Oh, bummer. Okay. Was it 99? Yeah, that's right, because Dr. T and the women was 2000. Yeah, because one of my yeah. friends wanted to go, and I remember telling her, like, I don't think this is the Richard Gere movie you think it is, <laughs> like, before we were uh, talking I about I love going. that movie. <laughs> so crazy yes but uh cookies fortune is a lot of fun it's was made after like kansas city and so it's kind of him feeling him, his oats a little bit also it was after he did i'm one of the few people who actually enjoyed the gingerbread man it's not oh no i got you okay. back on that all right all right good so you like that one too okay good because I know I don't share you and uh, Bilga's affinity for the Grisham thrillers, and okay, what I liked about the Gingerbread Man so much is Alvin seemed to agree with me on Grisham. Okay, he didn't seem to like the Grisham story. <laughs> didn't Grisham take his name off of it? Like oh. he was so angry. Yes, yeah, I did a really fun episode with Bilga. Actually, the same episode because it was legal thrillers. We talked about a few good men. So if you're listening and you want to. <laughs> I'm sure we give some shout outs to Gingerbread Man as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Cookie's Fortune, you know, you have Glenn Close, Ned Beatty, Liv Tyler, Chris O'Donnell, Julianne Moore, just it's, you know, powerhouse cast. It's not really, you couldn't really call it a murder mystery. An old lady in the South uh, misses her husband she's a widow and she's had enough and you know she decides she's going to end it all and she does uh, but her daughter who shows up at the house glenn close like doesn't want you know nobody commits suicide in her family that's a crazy people thing and so they decide they're going to cover it up and pretend it was a murder and uh her and her sister but then her aunt cookie's uh best friend the black handyman um, is accused and arrested for the murder. Essentially, Liv Tyler knows he didn't do it uh, and said she's going to just go to jail with him. Ned Beatty, who's the sheriff, knows he didn't do it either because he fishes with him, which I love throughout the whole movie. It's like, how do you know that? Because I fished with him. And uh, he just knows he's a good dude. And, uh, you know, eventually the truth will come out. And it does. You also have, like, Lyle Lovett, uh, another mainstay of the the Altman era. So do you remember when you saw this one for the first time? Was it at theater? Oh, yeah. I saw it in the theater. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like, I mean, it's just, it's so laid back. Like, there's no, again, it's, it's more of an ecosystem than a story. I don't know what yeah. really <laughs> there is no threat of this guy going to prison <laughs> no no you're like you know it yeah they're all having fun like Liv tyler's in there hooking up with chris o'donnell and you know they're playing he, scrabble in the jail with the lawyer <laughs> with the lawyer and the sheriff it's charles s dutton i was blanking on his name um he's great oh my gosh other cast members uh donald moffitt courtney b vance patricia neal um just yeah an amazing cast it's it's like rufus thomas is the old guy at the bar (laughs) okay yes it's a hangout movie you know and um nobody you really when you watch an altman movie you just kind of wanted to hang out there on set and of equal importance to the murder the murder investigation is the church production of Salome. Yes, which I love so much. And Julianne Moore's character is kind of being constantly manipulated by her sister. 
and she's the star. I love it when she's it's at Easter. She's like, and I play Salome and I get to dance. And the way Julianne Moore just like hits that note, like I get to dance. It's so good. <laughs> There's nobody better at playing a bad actress than Julianne Moore. Like she... <laughs> It's that old thing, like Tina Fey said, in order to play mean, you have to be nice or um, that kind of thing with Rachel McAdams when she talks about being like a nice person yeah. or to play dumb, you have to be smart. And so you need a really great actress like Julianne Moore to play a bad actress for sure. Yes. So it's around the yeah, this really realistic John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah. And the blood down the plate. I, I love the accent. I could just go all day on the accent. But yeah, so good. I never got the Chris O'Donnell thing. Like, I always thought he was the dullest. Like, God, he's so boring. Instead of a woman, he's so out of his league. And like, my sisters were in love with him when I when we were younger. Oh, my and gosh. I think he is so funny in Cookie's Fortune because he's so dumb. <laughs> he's great. Yeah. You know, what's funny is my brother in the 90s, uh, did karate and there was like this open casting call at the karate studio they were recommending um for the batman movie and so he went and when the casting agent like he made it through enough of the rounds and then the casting agent looked at him and said too cute and like that's how he was dismissed so then for the rest of the 90s jim would just go around and go well i'm cuter than chris o'donnell <laughs> <laughs> and that was his line yes <laughs> obviously he got the role he wasn't cute enough <laughs> that's too funny but uh of course, yeah, him like traipsing all... around the police station in his roman centurion costume yes. just... or like with his uh belt on when he and uh Liv tyler are trying to have sex and they keep going in the, the various rooms and his belt keeps tripping him up which is very funny yeah and he's constantly driving illegally, like just these crazy <laughs> left turns. <laughs> and when he's at the scene and like he's being um, railroaded by like yeah, Glenn Close, and they're they're doing their own thing, they're moving stuff around, and it's supposed to be a crime. Here's your stupid police tape. <laughs> yes, and he, he, you know, he's looking at his notes, and he calls like a ten thirteen and a ten seven. Can you just have him come? Like he can't remember all the numbers, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, I think and everyone's like Officer So and So or Detective yeah. This, and he's Jason. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, poor Chris O'Donnell, but he's good in this. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just it's such it's so nice to spend time with those people. <laughs> it just, is. You enjoy the town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it opens with music and, you know, for a minute you feel like you're back in Kansas City. Um, so, and he is a filmmaker who loves music. I mean, Nashville for sure. And uh, was throughout all of the films. Yes. Even Brewster McLeod, which is used to kind of <laughs> as a counterpoint to some of the going <laughs> on. Yes. 100%. And then speaking of music and performance, we have The Company, which is a film that I actually saw three times. 
in the theater that summer. I don't know if it's because like every chick on the planet who grew up in suburbia, like I studied ballet for almost 10 years, but I was way too tall and clumsy. And so I was probably the worst ballerina ever. I was going to say, you're like nine feet taller than every other person in the ballet. You know, when you see the photos, it's really hilarious because I'm like, seriously two feet taller than most of the girls in my class and uh so yeah I hated it I had to have like the adult shoes and I mean it was a thing burns but what was crazy is like a year or two ago I realized I could still do all of the you know first five positions or something because they were drilled into me so constantly oh, wow. <laughs> yeah it's like I'm a sleeper agent I'm the Jason Bourne of I think there's a lot of us because you know we had them drilled into us in many malls across the country but uh and I lived in the Chicago area for a little bit like our buddy Rob Belushi who is Mr. Chicago so the company with the Joffrey Ballet uh, just instantly appealed to me plus there's just something so cool about seeing these gorgeous dance sequences on a big screen so I went like three times when it was at the art house I think after a little bit the ticket people were like what is up with this chick because I just kept going back yes (laughs) (sighs) were you a fan right away oh it's so good and I actually um Nev Campbell brought it to the old Boston Film Festival when that was still a thing cool and I got to interview her and um oh my god wow. i was so in love yes <laughs> you were immediately like i know <laughs> well she was so cool and oh. we were smoking cigarettes in the room where we weren't supposed to smoke <laughs> oh wow oh i think i remember you telling me that story yeah yeah and she was you know she was so excited because this was her project like she came up with yes. it like she had hired barbara turner to write the screenplay and she hounded altman for like a year and he said, like, I don't know anything about ballet. And she said, that's why you're perfect. Yeah, he can bring, you know, uh, his own thing to it, for sure. And, uh, yeah, she, it was, I, I always, like, felt bad because she she just wrapped this James Toback movie, which I call When Will I Be Loved, that I think is very good, that just kind of went nowhere. But, and she did in this indie movie called Panic that was terrific. And, like, yes, she'd gotten out William of the H. studio. Yes. Mm-hmm. she's such a good actress and she just kind and of she had like these three things in a row and it was like she'd gotten out of she did that terrible um rom-com with matthew perry oh god three and, to tango yeah yeah and she was like fuck it i'm done i'm doing my own projects i'm doing <laughs> indies where they blow up tuna melts. i will never forget that i like went to that movie and there, that was like a part of the movie they they got sick after eating tuna melts and it's like for real this is what we're doing in rom-coms like don't do this to Nev <laughs> campbell or matthew perry my god yeah <laughs> well she was such a pro she kept like not naming the movie, but she was very up, you know, not happy. With I won't, I won't say what film my dad did that really I hit rock bottom with. But so she was just wanted to work with Allman and Toback, and we just talked about seventies directors the whole time. And I was like, she's really gonna. And then none of these movies hit, and she's in Scream Four and Five, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's all terribly sad. Like I, I hope she gets another. Yes, shot sure. cool stuff again, you know. Yeah, yeah, she is so good. And I know they even offered her a position in the Joffrey Ballet at the end of this, but she was just like, she said she thought about it. But at the same time, she was, I think, 32, 33, around that age and knew she Mm -hmm. really wouldn't have that many years left for it. 
Yeah, because she is. Well, there's that one 46 year old in the movie. (laughs) Yes, I know. She's like, I am 40, whatever. And uh, and it's a little fast for me. I love that scene so much. And then later, because she's doing her own combinations at the bar. And then later she wants Terrence Stamp, who is playing a fictionalized version of the real co-founder of the Joffrey. Malcolm McDowell. Thank you, Malcolm McDowell. (laughs) who is playing the uh, uh, a fictionalized version of the co-founder of the Joffrey Ballet. There's this great scene where she like wants him to intervene and she's having a little tiff with whoever is the choreographer or the teacher that day. And he's like, one minute, and he puts his coat on and just leaves. <laughs> it's so good. Malcolm McDowell is amazing in that movie. Yes. Playing an Italian. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I love his speech. Uh, which is it makes no sense if you are like Italian because he's giving this speech to uh, he's getting an award from the Italian whatever and he's like you Italian boys were hard on me and it's like if you're if you're Italian why are you saying you Italian boys (laughs) like just you know (laughs) as Italians some of us were hard on it you know like it it makes no sense but it's like you know what it's just Malcolm McDowell doing his thing yes no, there's a great, I think there's a lot of, Altman, I feel like he brought a lot of autobiographical stuff in this, especially to that character, to be the guy in charge who's strategically unavailable. Yes, that is the thing. It's it's like avoidance and yes, uh, because we all have those people in our lives who um, just kind of they don't want to tell you no, or they don't want to be the bad guy, but then all of a sudden you can't get them on the phone or, you know, that they're not answering the email because yeah. Yeah. Well, and you see, he's got to juggle all the money people. Yes. And he has to pay for all of this. <laughs> you know, know, can we cut the snake in half? <laughs> it's the craziest, but it, apparently that was real ballet. I don't have the name of it, but it's um, on the Wikipedia page. and the real um, choreographer, the real people behind that were in the movie. A lot of them are playing dancers are real. And uh, so, yeah, he gets lampooned. There's a roast night where they're all being roasted. And so uh, it's the guy who invented this. I love when they're going around the room as he's explaining, like, and then the monkeys and then this and it's primary colors. And, you know, the the more he explains it, just the, the loopier it sounds. And then we have a balloon woman with the balloons in her head. And they're like looking at the dancers who are just like, I don't know, man, just tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's sort of what I I, I I think like it's a great movie in that because that ballet is not good. No, and we know it's not great. good. But, yeah. But the, you know, the sum or the parts are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And like the movie never makes a big show of telling us it's bad. No. <laughs> and you see, they work just as hard on the yeah. bad ones as the good ones. And that's, you know, sometimes these things work, sometimes they don't. Yeah. And sometimes someone just has a career ending uh, Achilles injury, just like in the middle of showing a move or practicing. And then sometimes somebody isn't getting it and the next person comes up, you know, uh, these things happen. Somebody takes a fall, Um, you know, it's it's chance. It's collaboration. I mean, there's that old line that we always say 
every movie is really about filmmaking but this is very much a very much uh, a movie where you could say it's about the collaborative artistic process yes and yeah and, and, and mcdowell has that line that's like the most ultimate thing i've ever heard where the guy's like well you told me yesterday you wanted well i wanted something else yesterday this is today yes it's so good right yeah because that guy is just getting just amazingly frustrated like this is what we were doing no it isn't yes <laughs> <laughs> i love you no that's that's what i wanted yesterday no yes. today be in the moment like that would always you know yes yeah, because you know exactly. it wasn't like Alma was winging these movies he would be very well prepared for them but he would find mm-hmm. whatever movie was there and you know some days at the end of the day he's like Murph we're going to kill you tomorrow yeah <laughs> and sometimes you get ready to wear and sometimes you get the company yeah exactly you never know what you're going to get for sure well it was kind of when we were thinking what to choose you could have done this, we could have done several episodes essentially because we were thinking mm-hmm. under discussed or underrated. I kind of hate the word underrated, overrated. Like they're just words people. Well, the problem around. is he made so many towering masterpieces that there's yes, like B sides that are really worthy of discussion, but you don't. Yeah, so many Altman B sides to give a shout out to our friends Connor O'Donnell and Dan Mecca at the B side podcast. But yes. And um, I think this was a good quartet. Other films of his that you have because it doesn't let James for. Franco talk. He's so much more charming when he doesn't talk. Uh-huh. And it uses so many versions of my funny Valentine, which I love. Like, you know, well, I love that. Like she said, um, she. I remember her telling me it was twenty years ago, and I still remember it very well. Like, talking to her, yes, <laughs> you're like, you know that because whole... I fell in love, and I remember every minute of every cigarette. Yes, yeah, she, she let together. me light her cigarettes. Ooh, <laughs> smoked American spirits in the the yellow case. Oh wow. <laughs> um, Nev, if yeah, you're the, listening, uh... he's single. <laughs> I can get you the number. Yes. <laughs> But she had said they, they, you know, they'd scripted out that whole relationship with the Franco character. And then uh-huh. she and all that decided, like, no, let's just make all their scenes a dance. Yeah. Yeah. Like when they're shooting pool and we hear the mm-hmm. Elvis Costello version of My Funny Valentine, because it's just, you know, you don't need to know. And then the next morning when he's going to make an omelet for her and she's going to doesn't have a lot in her kitchen. And um, yeah, it's cool. And they don't let franco talk much usually in movies and you know as a woman who dates usually guys won't shut up when they're out with you essentially and uh it's nice in a movie to see people just don't talk these are two people deeply falling in love but we don't need to hear about it every five seconds yeah mm-hmm. any other yeah, and the way he cooks it's like yeah. the way she dances you know there's very like the way yeah, I, I don't want to know how many form. classes franco took to like break the eggs like that i'm sure he is oh my god i know luminous researched <laughs> and he's gonna teach it and is well, i don't know if they're gonna let him teach another class at nyu yeah i don't know that's that might be a title nine thing you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> poor franco <laughs> we're just being hard on people no but uh <laughs> did she tell you any more things that you remember that stuck out it was a lot of times because of all the mirrors they had to just all of them would be directing from the they'd have the monitors in the other room oh yeah because there's and so many be mirrors. over 
they'd be over this PA and she's like this booming voice of God. (laughs) (laughs) Move to the left. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it wrong. No. You know, and what's cool is stylistically, there are some stuff that there's some stuff that he does frequently with the constantly moving cameras that kind of weave in and out. You see it a lot in stuff like the player and Gosford Park. And it it's more dance like here. It's still like when we see them backstage or um, in the changing room, the male and female change, like we're kind of weaving in between these dancers or the after parties, that kind of thing. But it's a little subtler and it goes with uh, the music. Like you were saying, it's a dance. Yeah. It's interesting too, watching it again. Cause I remember my one big disappointment with the movie. This was one of the early theatrical movies shot on video. Oh. And when they transferred them to 35 millimeter, there would always be this like kind of fuzz. Gotcha. And I, I always hated that look. There's kind of a creamy, fuzzy look to those early DV films. But, you know, the direct transfer onto video, like, oh, it looks great. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah, it would be different. And and somebody who has a projection, uh, work projection, yeah. you would notice that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they just all those early DV movies looked really soft in ways that annoyed me. Yeah, I remember... I think the first one I kind of noticed it on, but I love the film so much is Collateral. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Well, that was like, they were like leaning into that. For yes, that. Like a exactly. <laughs> but whereas like this or like Attack of the Clones or it was just like this awful fuzz. Like, <laughs> it was on that two, 2002, 2003 era of, mm. they figured it out. And then, you know, they just threw out the 35 millimeter prints altogether. So, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly well other ones that you have a lot of affection for you want to give a shout out to that we maybe haven't mentioned or didn't mention enough i love dr t (laughs) you love dr t (laughs) that's his his fellini film there that's his like city of women with it really that is a such a good comparison burns oh my gosh yeah with gear as this mastriani character i really like gear in them i think that's a really neat performance like yeah, gear is great. That's not a popular film. <laughs> no, I I remember liking it, not loving it. Essentially, um, yeah, yeah. I remember really also Vincent and Theo. I thought was good. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think here. Yeah, and Prairie Home Companion. Talk about a, a sign off. That was like. <laughs> yes, I saw that. You know, and uh, it brought back. It was also kind of funny watching that movie uh, being from Minnesota. That was, you know, you got like Woody Harrelson and John C. Riley, And, you know, it's just kind of a, a funny one because I wasn't a huge Garrison Keillor head. But, um, but yeah. And another one that I saw recently for the first time in the last couple of years was uh, Fool for Love, you know, the Sam Shepard, mm-hmm. um, which was great. It was kind of, again, him making uh, plays. And yeah, the play the play, play era, era. <laughs> yes streamers was around then too yeah thieves like us i haven't seen in in a while but i remember that one was good well, another another great shelly yes oh shelly <laughs> yes yeah they just don't uh they don't make them like this anymore <laughs> yeah and they don't say yes to uh people trying to make them although 
really do we have any Altmans today? I don't know. But uh, well, we have Paul Thomas Anderson, who's in that sort of milieu, essentially. But uh, yes. And, yeah, you and know, it shares a lot of the same actors, too. Well, God, I mean, Magnolia was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's his movie. And he shadowed Michael, Of course Altman Michael Murphy's on, uh, in this. <laughs> yeah. And he shadowed Altman on Prairie Home Companion, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, other thoughts on Altman before I let you go? No, I just, you know, he's one of my favorites. It's it's a whole sensibility, I think. There's an attitude. I know it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Like, you hear, like, oh, there's a misogynist. and He's a misanthrope. And it's kind of like you just have to look at what film you're watching and um, what you're expecting and what he might be subverting or really telling you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, some of them I think can be a little like the the player and shortcuts that era gets a little too almost snide for my tastes. But mm. you know, I mean, they're funny. yeah. I am. I don't love shortcuts as much as other people do. I thought it was yeah. an excellent film, but it's not. It wouldn't be in my top five or so. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. It's a little sour. Like I like him more when mm-hmm. he's when he's like these people are fucked up, but they're great. You know the way like yes. Gibson. Yeah, there's a little Gibson more. Gibson is the hero of Nashville, like you know. Yes. Yeah, there's a little more of the, but I fished with them. A little more right. genuine uh, love of the fellow man, or even like we're all in it together, kind of feeling like Cookie's Fortune. Mm-hmm. Just you want to yeah. hang out in this community, yes. Because they're yeah, when they all fish, I'm like, you're ending the movie now. I could spend another hour fishing with these people. Yeah, let's Come just on. go fishing. Absolutely. This is going to be our spinoff podcast, Fishing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's always such a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. So what are we going to talk about tomorrow night? I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.